0: Will you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1? This morning we'll be reading, uh, our main passage will be from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Let's read together. This is God's holy and inerrant word. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Word. Thank you for this beautiful description of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King. Our Redeemer, thank you for what these men saw in Jesus, and we want to see that too. Help us this morning to see the beauty and the majesty and the power of Christ for ourselves, and to such a degree that our witness is changed, that our testimony relies completely on Him and not on our own clever speech, not on our own wisdom. Help us to be so enamored with Christ that we want everyone to see Him as well. we ask this in His name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been uh, very convicted uh, in the last two and a half years by the Gospel of Matthew. And especially in the last several weeks, um, we've read through Matthew chapter 28 and uh, gotten through verses 18 through 20. I want to read these for you. Uh, it's the Great Commission, and, and you've listened to messages uh, for the last month, month and a half about these. But they're very convicting verses. And maybe you, like me, have been convicted, but want maybe a little more about how do we make this happen in our own lives. Um, and that's something that that I've been really thinking through and trying to understand for myself. And uh, it just so happens that this was the Sunday that Brad asked me to preach. He would be gone. And so uh, it turns out you get to think through this with me a little bit as well. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called in these verses not just to tell other people about Jesus, but to make disciples, to to baptize. We're told to teach them to observe all of these things. And so as we think about that, and I think Pastor has given us some really great, very practical ways to respond, how do I then respond How do I go and make disciples the way that I've been commanded? And so today, I'd just like to spend a few minutes maybe searching out and and discussing just one practical outworking of the message of the past, really, two and a half years. Um, Last week, to end our time together, Pastor asked the question, what is is Providence's Matthew 29? What does Matthew 29, the next chapter, look like for Providence? And I want to just let that question sink just a little deeper to what is is my Matthew 29? What does it look like for me to take the command of Christ and then to follow it and obey it? And maybe, like me, you're asking yourself questions like can God really change the world through me? There's a a sea of people, an, an ocean of people out there who are bent on destruction. Who will even... Believe me. And and maybe even, you know, most importantly, how do I start? And I think think it's important for us to take that huge picture and be able to refine it down into an actionable step. Something, you know, I could start a YouTube channel and I could preach to the world, but would that change anything? I know me, it probably wouldn't. It would most likely make me jaded, right? But what it would do is it would... Try to give me a broad platform when what I'm called to do is to make disciples and it involves an individual connection. So today let's, let's think through how we can personally follow the command of Christ. This is just one practical outworking. There's, there are really infinitely more applications. We could spend years just discussing how to follow Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. So, my intent is not to discover those and all of those in the next half hour. We're just going to spend a few minutes looking at this. We read through John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And I want to just start by looking at, put the clicker here somewhere, a scriptural foundation for bringing people to Jesus. And that's the title of the sermon this morning: Bringing Them to Jesus. How do we make disciples? How do we go about this command when some of us can't even, I'm speaking of myself, string a sentence together properly and have it make sense? How do we make disciples when we don't have the power to do that ourselves? And the answer we'll find this morning is to bring them to Christ. To let Him be the one to change their hearts. Back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 1, there's a moment in time and He's gathering the first disciples to follow Him. And so some foundational thoughts just to base the rest of our discussion off of here this morning. First of all, Christ's call in John chapter 1, verses 35-37. through The next day again, John is standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard Him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to Him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. It's interesting that in this passage, these people are not attracted. Andrew, we find out, and one other disciple. Uh, they're not attracted by something that Jesus said. They're not attracted by uh, a miracle. In fact, what they're attracted by is John's proclamation Number one, of who Jesus is. Very simple. Behold the Lamb of God. And then number two, by Jesus Himself. They see Him. And they want to go follow Him. This is is the one we've been waiting for. And so we see that the beauty of Christ, this this draw that they feel toward Him, is, is irresistible. Just look at Him. One glimpse of the Savior, and without question, they follow. And sure, they they want to learn more. There's room for that. But more than that, for that moment, they just want to be near Him. We also see that the road to discipleship, interestingly, has many entry points. We can't write off individual disciples just based on our perspective. These men didn't ask the right question. They didn't follow Jesus and go to Him and say, how can I have eternal life? Instead, they said, where are you staying? And Jesus did not respond to them by saying to them, in order to have eternal life, you must do X, Y, and Z. Instead, He said, come and you will see. And they spent the rest of that day with Him. And we find out later, they spent the rest of their lives with Him. Jesus calls men and women to follow from wherever they stand. These men were not yet full-fledged followers of Christ. Jesus didn't hear their question and say, well, that doesn't really matter. First sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Jesus had that conversation at a later point with a young man in Matthew 19 who had said, well, I've kept the law in every point. But in this case, He just asked these would-be disciples to take one more step and find out where He's staying. And it says they stayed with Him the rest of that day. Again, they're not followers yet, but we know at least one of these two men, Andrew, will be one of the twelve. We don't specifically know who the other is. History tells us that Andrew will go on to spread the Gospel into what is now Ukraine, Romania, Russia. And for now... He's not even thinking about Ukraine and Romania and Russia. He just wants to know where Jesus is staying tonight. And again, Jesus simply invites him to come and see. We must keep this in mind as we watch those who are being drawn towards Christ. We have no insight other than what's on the outside seeing the work that God is doing in people's hearts. And their interest might seem trivial to us in a specific moment. They might ask a question and we go, it's not an important question. Like, it doesn't matter. But their interest and their curiosity towards Christ may be leading them deeper into a relationship with Him. We forget often that the transformational power of Christ is a long-term transformational power. You and I are still being changed by it. And so are people who are on the journey to Christ. And if we forget that, we may be unwilling to show patience to those who seemingly drag their feet and who are slow to move and who ask the wrong questions. Jesus here calls these men and it's His beauty and it's His person that attracts them to Him. It's not anything He's done yet. And He says to them, take one more step with Me. Come and see where I'm staying. We also see Andrew's invitation to Peter in verses 40-42. through 42, He says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's interesting that Andrew's invitation is very uncomplicated. And it's also very immediate. He hears the call of Christ, come and see. He immediately goes and finds somebody else and brings him to Jesus. And he goes to Peter and he says, hey, we found him. There's no extra description involved. He doesn't sit back and describe what Jesus looks like. He doesn't launch into a theological discourse, uh, the reasons that Peter has to come to see Jesus. And he knows this because the heart of every Jewish person at that time was tuned, was turned towards the promise of the Messiah. There's a, a, a national longing for a Redeemer, this promised one. And Andrew knows that spark. It was alive in his own heart. It was something that he longed for as well. It's what ignited him the moment he saw Christ. And we'll get to it more in a moment, but that type of clarity around our very deepest need is so important as we share the Gospel with others. It's the thing that ties you to every other single person in this world. Whether they're as far away from you as they possibly can be, politically, socially, morally, whatever it looks like, that person needs Jesus just as desperately as you have needed Christ and you continue to need Him. And it's interesting, from Andrew's perspective, this invitation to Peter is not just an endorsement. Uh, we're, we're so tied to endorsements nowadays. It's, it's very impersonal. If you have a LinkedIn profile, you've had people endorse you. And it's like, this person's great at spreadsheets. <laughs> Great, thank you so much for that endorsement. Ringing endorsement. Endorsements seem brave. We're putting ourselves out there a little to tell people something. Oh, this person's really good at spreadsheets or that was the best meal I've ever had. I endorsed this restaurant. You should go there. But at the same time, they can be a little bit of a cop-out. They can be a little bit of a, a shield to hide behind. And here's what they sound like kind of in my space. Listen, I met this financial advisor. He's super great. He knows his stuff. You should check him out. And then as soon as you say that, you get to walk away and nothing ever happens unless that person wants to go look me up as a financial advisor. And the onus is it's completely off of the back of that person. It's not my problem if I'm, if I'm giving that recommendation. It's not my problem if they don't choose to look, look him up. And often transactional evangelism is that way, right? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you want to buy in? No? Okay. Let's move on. Transactional evangelism takes the pressure off of me because I don't really have to do anything except say some words and then if that person doesn't believe, it's on them, right? And often, now there's nothing wrong with knocking on a door and telling someone about Christ, but often we, we don't go further than that because it requires so much of us. It requires us to love and care for and walk with this person to Christ. Bringing people to Christ can often require the formation of a relationship, however small that relationship might be. It requires that that disciple builds trust with the other person so that the encouragement to come and meet Christ is met with acceptance. Acceptance. Andrew's invitation to Peter is, again, not that way at all. In fact, he knows Peter very well. In fact, related to him. He knows Peter, and he says to him, come with me. We also see Philip's invitation to Nathaniel. He says, come and see. Uh, and and uh, I'll just read briefly from here. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him in verse 45, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And it's interesting that Philip's invitation to Nathanael overcomes scrutiny. It overcomes an argument. Uh, I've been through sales classes. Maybe some of you have as well. Sales involves overcoming arguments. But Philip did all the wrong stuff in selling Jesus to Nathaniel, He didn't overcome any argument. Philip identifies Jesus to Nathaniel. Nathanael offers a response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and we think this is probably sarcasm because Nazareth was known to be... Uh, it wasn't the greatest place to be from. But instead of launching into a discourse on apologetics, why Jesus is the Messiah... Isn't it amazing how simple Philip's response is? Come and see. And that's a a theme throughout Scripture. Scripture says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see what God has done. In Job 42, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I heard about you, God. But now my eye sees you. And because of that, there's a response. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. It even calls back to uh, the, the response of the Queen of Sheba when she came to Solomon in Second Chronicles 9. She said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. It's interesting to note that when we try and argue about Christ with others, we will probably miss the most important parts that they can only experience by seeing Christ for themselves. Philip doesn't say to Nathaniel, well, yeah, something good can come out of Nazareth. Instead, he says, come and see Him for yourself. All of our arguing and debating and convincing doesn't amount to much in the end. In the end, it's a vision of Christ Himself that will change lives. And, Uh, You know, as well as I do, that debate, or or rather, argument, is the language of our time. When someone scoffs at something that we hold so dearly, we want to take it to them, right? We're going to type the comments back right at them uh, on whatever social media platform you're using. We want to be right, and and often, we want to be the ones to be right. I don't, like, other people are right, but listen, I want to be right in this conversation. And I, I feel this in myself. But Philip doesn't give in to any of this. His response is so beautiful and so simple. Come and see. Don't take my word for it. Don't don't trust me. Let Him show you. He's not a fad. He's not a gimmick. He is sufficient. He's full. He is everything you ever hoped for, but you just have to experience Him for yourself. And then the invitation goes beyond just proving to Nathanael that Jesus is the person he says he is. It goes so far beyond that. And it brings him to belief and and discipleship. Jesus doesn't just do a magic trick and then wait for Nathanael's acceptance and then say, see, I told you so. Jesus is not in the business of proving himself just for the sake of being right, just like you and I should not be jesus is in the business of changing lives and he wants nathaniel to follow and, and nathaniel does we see him again at the end of the book of john after his resurrection jesus's resurrection the disciples are fishing again it's kind of a call back to where they were at the beginning of jesus's ministry nathaniel is right there as the resurrected christ serves them breakfast he has followed christ throughout his life and if we're right Potentially, Nathanael is also Bartholomew. We see an apostle of Christ. This is the man who went to Eastern Europe and Western Asia to preach the Gospel. And we see that Christ took him from just this guy who didn't know if anything good could come out of Nazareth. And He took him past the point of saying, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. And He brought him to following Him. Follow me, you're gonna see even greater stuff than this. If you think it's cool that I knew where you were, that's not even anything. Follow me and you will see me in my glory. Briefly, let's take a, a quick look at a practical outworking of all these points. Like these are are wonderful things to study, and I'm so grateful for this passage. But how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? what can we actually take away walk out this door and do as a result of it and i just briefly want to talk through obstacles there are obstacles to us sharing the gospel and i think you feel them just as well as i do i've thought of a few common ones there's there's fear right the obstacle of fear what if i'm rejected what if i say something to someone and they look at me and go yeah i don't think so it's a little weird don't you think? But I want to point out that our identity as followers of Christ does not lie in the opinions of others. If, if these men had thought, I'm so afraid of what somebody's going to say to me, and Nathaniel, uh, you know, Nazareth, nothing good could come out of that. And if we had stopped in that moment, then these men would not have come to see Christ. Understand that if you are rejected for sharing Christ with someone, they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Christ. And your identity is, is in Him. And not in any sort of you know, cool presentation you're trying to make to the world around you, especially as you share Him. Another obstacle may be laziness, right? It takes a lot of work to share Christ with someone. But you know what? It is a command that we share Christ with someone. And as a command, we're expected to follow it. Matthew 8, uh, 28, 18-20 Go therefore and make disciples. There's no like, if you're tired, you get a day off. Just go. Do what Christ has told you to do. We are compelled, not just by the command to share Christ with others. But we are compelled by our love for Christ and by His love for us. He has died for us. He has rescued us. And now what more can we do than share that same love with the people that we love? Uh, maybe, maybe the obstacle for you is ignorance. I don't know where to start. It does take a minute to prepare your heart to understand how to speak to someone. But I want to I point out, it's, it's not rocket science. What did Christ do for you? He saved you. He changed you. Ephesians tells us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were made alive in Christ. By grace are you saved. You have the opportunity to share with someone, not a theological treatise, you have the opportunity to share Christ. Someone you love dearly. Someone who has rescued you and saved you. Someone who has given you His life. Given His life for you. Prepare your heart and mind to know where to start. Uh, You know, maybe uh, some of my obstacles are, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone. I've I've lived in this bubble, right? Uh, My kids go to a Christian school. I come to church. I work in an office, and I close my door, and the only people that come in are my clients. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of obstacles, a lot of arguments. I'm too busy. What is your reason for not sharing Christ? Uh, if I could be so bold, take it and write it down and then share it with Christ. Let God deal with that reason. It's interesting that as we walk longer and longer with God, this type of confession, when we go to Him and say, well, here's the reason I can't obey. The type of confession is met with this dawning realization of truth. We already know that that our reasons maybe don't make a lot of sense, that they are overcome by what's in Scripture and by the command of Christ. But sometimes we don't bring these things to God because we don't want to know the truth. And so it's important for us to take these kind of concerns that we have. Christ knows our weakness. He's not going to go, well, that's ridiculous. In fact, He died for you. He died for the sin you might commit of not sharing Him, of not following this command. And He wants to help you learn how to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him by sharing Him with the people around us. So where do we start? Scripture is full of of people bringing other people to Jesus. I want to use a couple of illustrations here. First of all, we must know ourselves. We have to know our sinful hearts. right? We've got to know what we were rescued from. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And we also must know the spark that ignited our own passion and curiosity. If you've got your Bible, take it and then turn a couple of pages over to John chapter 4. Just briefly, the woman at the well. We all know this story. Woman's at the well. Jesus comes and says, give me water to drink. And she says, well, are you really asking me to give you water? And He says, if you knew who I was you would ask Me for living water. And you would never have to drink again. Like You wouldn't be thirsty again. And he goes through this, this process of discovery with her for several verses, but in John chapter 4, verse 25, the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And if you drop down to verse 39... I'm sorry, actually, just skip one verse. The woman left her water jar immediately. She just goes. She goes away into town and she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Him. She goes and she finds the thing that's in her heart, that the need that Jesus met, and she shares to the people around her, Jesus met this need. And they want to see In verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony, first of all. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they asked Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of His Word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. I got to this verse, and i got to tell you, I got chills. It wasn't about what she said to them in the end. Those people said, it's not you anymore. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. He is everything you said He would be, and He's more, and because of that we believe. Because He is more. Where do you start? What has Jesus done for you? And, and can you boil it down to something meaningful, right? It's easy for us to be vague because we still cling to our own pride and our own appearance. You know, Jesus changed me. Well, how? Well, just trust me. Like, You don't need to know all the stuff I was involved in. But also, we could like take it too far the other way, right? And be like, well, listen to this. The story is not about the specifics of what Jesus saved us from. And it's also not about blowing past those things and saying, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter, and the focus should be on Christ. I was dead in my sins, but I've been given a brand new life. Come and see. I was, I was hungry for love. And who in our culture isn't hungry for love? And Jesus showed me the most wonderful love imaginable. We have to know ourselves. We also have to know Christ. Like Andrew and Philip in John chapter 1. What do we know about Christ? Well, we find Him in Scripture, right? We find Him over and over, especially through the pages of the Gospels. We can see who He is. We can learn more about Him in our time with Him in the Word and as we pray and ask Him to teach us about Himself. If you want to know more about Christ, start with the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. They're here. I am the bread of life. I will feed you. I will feed your soul. I'm the light of the world. Do you feel like you're shut up in darkness? I am the light. I'm the door of the sheep. Do you feel homeless? Do you feel unable to be cared for by anyone? I am here and I will let you into the sheepfold. I'm the good shepherd. I will care for you. I'm the resurrection and the life do you feel death encroaching on you every day? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, do you feel lost? I'm the way, the truth and the life. Do you feel wilted and and dead on the vine? Jesus says, "I am the true vine." Know who Christ is and you can share that with people around you. So we must know ourselves, we must know Christ, but we also we need to know people who need Jesus in order to share them with them. Turn back to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is again beginning his earthly ministry. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Seems reasonable. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, not just the paralytic, the faith of the people who brought him as well, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. I like to imagine the story first from the, uh, the, the point of view of the paralyzed man. These guys, friends of this guy, and, and maybe the paralyzed man himself, find out Jesus is back in town, they've heard what he's done, and they look at each other with this like growing sense of, hey, I've got an idea, Nathan needs this. And you and I have been that paralytic. In that moment, there is hope. There's a spark of joy. It's out there. We just need to see it. We just need to go to Him. And you can imagine the ride there. I don't know what they carried this guy on, but it was probably pretty bumpy. Imagine the ride here. We we, we can't see Christ yet. It's too crowded. How do we get to Him? Well, go to the roof. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be paralyzed and to be carried up on a roof, but I imagine that was pretty bumpy as well. Your friends are taking the roof apart, and now you're being let down, and it's such a a cinematic picture, right? Let down in front of Jesus, and you look up, and you see your friends looking through the hole in the roof, and then you look in front of you, and there He is. It's really Him. Him. And you're free of your paralysis. And you're free of your sin. You and I have been this man. But more importantly to this point, we know people who are still this man. And maybe they don't know it yet. But they need to see Jesus. And we can bring them to Him. And it's hard. I mean, we might think, well, I don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Or, or the people that I know, man, I'm not, I'm not close enough to share it with them yet. But isn't that the Matthew mandate to go and make disciples? Go to these people. Meet them. They are your barber or your hairdresser. They're your, your neighbor, your favorite server at your favorite restaurant. They have needs. They have desires. They have a lack of fulfillment. Bring them to Christ. It's a way for us to start. Active consciousness, aware of who we are, aware of who Christ is, and aware of people who need Him. And then just briefly, disciplined readiness. We must look for opportunities. We we have to prepare ourselves for this. The opportunities are out there. We, We trust that God will bring them to us if we go in faith looking for them. Have what you need. Maybe it's maybe it's memorized scripture. Maybe it's it's bookmarked verses on a note in your phone. Maybe it's just a willingness to share your experience with Jesus, with someone who's hurting. Uh, Very practically, um, just briefly, I want to share with you a couple of things that I brought on the back table. These are our Gospels of John. Um, This is from an organization called the Pocket Testament League. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to jump on their mailing list. They send out pocket testaments. They'll send you a few for free. I've got, I think, 30 on the back table there. Um, and then you can donate and buy a few more if you'd like. But it's, it's very easy to choose uh, many different covers. This one says, this book changed my life. This one just has uh, some of the words from the Gospel of John on it. It's very easy when sharing the Gospel with someone or sharing with them how Christ has changed your life to say to them, hey, can, can I give this to you? This book changed my life. This, the man in this book changed my life. Take a few. We've got plenty of them and uh, we'll order more if we need to. But it's a very practical way for you to have something in hand that you can say, hey listen, I understand maybe we don't have time to expound who Christ is in its entirety, but Jesus is, is all throughout the pages of John. John tells us at the end, I've written this book so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole purpose of his, his book. So if you read this, you'll know who I'm talking about. Be prepared to share the Gospel with someone who's hurting. And then trust Christ. Trust Christ, not your, not your method. Like, Come up with a way to share with people about Christ, but don't worry if you don't have all the perfect words. Don't worry if you didn't come prepared with every verse from the Romans road memorized and ready to go. It's not on you anyway. All you have to do is share. Trust Christ, not your method. Trust Christ, not your pastor. This is not a call to bring people to church. Bring people to church, yes, do that, right? It's, it's very attractive to walk into a group of people who are totally dedicated to Christ. That's very important. But in the end, the church is not what draws them. It is Christ Himself. I think of the, the song that we sang last week, and I, I should have put it on there and we would sing it again. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Yeah, I am. Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken, peace unspoken, rest beside these living waters. And Christ is our living water. Christ is everything. Christ is the beautiful thing that draws people to himself. I found him in these pages. Just in conclusion, you and I don't have the authority to call people, but He does. You and I don't have the beauty, I apologize, you don't have the beauty to attract someone, but He does. You and I don't have the power to change lives, but He does. Bring them to Christ. Tell them who you were. Tell them who Jesus is. Tell them what He's done for you. Uh, A quote from our pastor over the last couple of weeks. The most powerful weapon in this world is a surrendered disciple who is willing to go make disciples. And I just want to fine-tune it for our purposes, and I hope he'll forgive me for this. The most powerful weapon in this world is a surrendered disciple who is willing to go... And bring one more person to meet Jesus. Bring them to Christ. In closing, I want to share just a couple of of stories for your encouragement of what Christ has done with people who are willing just to share Christ. There's an English monk. uh, He apparently was very short. They called him Little Bilney. And this man had been influenced by Martin Luther's books. He had joined the Protestant Reformation. He realized that he was not well-educated, which gives me great heart because uh, he was not well-educated, he was not greatly gifted, but he had noticed a priest named Hugh Latimer who possessed great learning and ability. And so he began to pray about how he might share Christ with this priest. And he came up with a strategy. Priests are required to hear Confessions of Sins. And so one day, Bilney goes to Latimer, he tugs at his sleeve and he says, hey, can you hear my confession? And so they go into the booth and Bilney confessed the Gospel. He told this priest that he was a sinner and he knew his good works would never save him. He confessed that Jesus died for him and that now by faith, The righteousness of Christ had been imputed to him apart from good works. And the priest was converted and became one of the greatest preachers of the English Reformation. Just because a guy chose a unique way to share with him not the doctrine of Christology, but Christ himself. One more example. Edward Kimball was a, a man who had met a shoe salesman He's a very timid man, very soft-spoken man, not a bold evangelist by any means, and he'd met a shoe salesman who was very crude and illiterate, and God laid it on his heart to share Jesus with this shoe salesman. Kimball's walking to the shoe store. He doesn't even know what he's going to do. He doesn't need shoes. He doesn't know what he's going to say, and he was so preoccupied, he walked right past the shoe store opening. And then he realized, I've, I've got to get this over with. So he like runs in and he meets this guy shelving shoes in the stockroom. room. And he later remembered it. He said, I spoke with limping words. I love this because I speak with limping words all the time. And especially when I'm trying to, to share something as important as Jesus with someone, I feel like my words are never enough. I, could never, I never could remember just what I did say. Something about Christ and His love, and that was all. And it was, in His judgment, a weak appeal. But God used that witness, and that young man gave his heart to Jesus. The shoe salesman's name you'll probably recognize, D.L. Moody, who was one of the greatest evangelists the United States and really the world has seen, and led so many other people to Christ because... One man chose to walk in and with limping words and with halting speech share Jesus and His love. I'm not here to say that if you share the Gospel, if you share Christ with someone that they'll change the world on your behalf. But what will change is their heart. Right? And that's what we're called to do. To make disciples. Will you bring them to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for uh, the example of men and women throughout history and especially in our Scriptures who without regard for their own pride and without trust in their own strength brought others to You. And we're especially grateful that when that happened, that Your beauty And your majesty and your glory and your love for us won those people to you. Help us to be mindful of the fact that it was never anything we said in the first place, but it was your call on their hearts and it was your beauty that won them. Father, you have changed us. You have made us disciples. And now help us to have courage to take that commission and to go make disciples for ourselves. In a moment, the piano will play as you are convicted, as as I am convicted, as, as you're rejoicing, as you're caring for what God has showed you through His Word. Will you just take a few moments and pray?